Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. LinkedIn job screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Monday, November 11th, and it's Veterans Day, so we'd like to offer our deepest thanks and gratitude to all of those who've served this great country of ours. And hey, listen, folks, it's our country. We're all in this together, so be kind to one another. I'm your host, Jason Moser. Joining me in the studio this week from Motley Fool Ventures, he's back. Yep, I'm talking about Mr. Brendan Matthews. Brendan, good to have you back in here. Hello, Jason. So, on today's financial show, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to get into what's been going on with Motley Fool Ventures and some of the latest on the investments that you guys have made. Uh, We've got a couple of banks that listeners should get familiar with. We've got opinions on SoftBank's troubles. We've got more of the last stock you bought and why. And, well, we got a couple of things to get off our chest, too. Uh, But first, let's go ahead and just kick it off here with Motley Fool Ventures. Brendan, you've been with Motley Fool Ventures now for, I think, think it's been over a year. It has been okay, over a year. Yeah. Well, you were last in here uh, three or four months ago, and we were talking about how things had, had gotten going. Um, let's talk a little bit about how things are faring towards the end of this year here with some of some of the investments that you guys have made over there at Motley Fool Ventures. For those who aren't familiar, Motley Fool Ventures, it's our venture capital wing of, of the, the business here at the Motley Fool. And you're in the business of making investments in smaller, privately held companies that haven't had a chance to make it to the public market yet. Yeah, exactly, and we're 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 playing the long game, just like uh, the fool does in public markets. Our fund is a ten-year fund. Um, we're continuing to support the companies that we've invested in previously. I think we've talked about um, home care, healthcare staffing agency. We continue to support them. Um, Upskill, an augmented reality tool for industrial workers. We've continued to support them. We only actually have made one uh, new investment, sort of in the past quarter. It's actually a super interesting one, uh, though. It's called um, Blockable. Okay. So it's a vertically integrated manufacturer of uh, manufactured homes. So basically, they have what's called blocks. So it's a a cube of walls that they slap together on site. It's higher quality housing, and they can combine them in multiple configurations to have better, cheaper housing built faster. Uh, they do all of the design of themselves. They actually build the houses, and then they, depending on the model, they often own part of the actual real estate development. Yeah, we talk about businesses that we're familiar with, can understand, you can relate to. I mean, this I'm only half half kidding here. I mean, this is a business probably a five year old could understand, and just playing with blocks, right? I mean, you're just putting these blocks together, and there you go. I mean, uh, the name seems seems like it says it all. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they um, they develop because it's it's a new company with a big a big vision. We're part of a twenty three million dollars Series A led by Vulcan Capital, okay. which is the uh, Paul Paul Allen's um, investment vehicle. Yeah, um, and they have a factory in Vancouver, Washington. They're building one in Sacramento. So the idea is to take traditional uh, piece by piece construction and replace it with modular, more efficient housing. So, when you talk about vertical integration, I want to I want to talk a little bit about that with our listeners who may not fully understand what you mean by that. When we talk about a company that's vertical, we're talking about a company that really controls all aspects of 
that product or that service that they're offering. You mentioned how they do their own designing and their own manufacturing. So basically what you're saying is that Blockable is they own the process from start to finish. Yeah, they're they're in it from the beginning to the end and part of it is real estate housing, especially big developments for residential can be um, a complicated, slow process and they want to be there every step of the way to, to sort of make sure things get done right and and ideally faster and more efficiently. can be a little bit more expensive on the front end to build a business like that, but typically the longer a business goes on um, with that vertical integration, I mean, we've seen a lot of that in, in some of our favorite investments over the years here is that companies that have that vertical integration, it's it becomes a bit of a competitive advantage to, to an extent. And um, I would imagine that Blockable would be no exception there. Um, it's you mentioned you've only made really one investment lately, and, and I want to dig in there a little one, bit. One one new investment. One new investment. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, it, it, do you do you and the team? Do you feel like you're coming into a, a time where it's more difficult to find good ideas, or is it valuations, or is it a little bit of both? So we we continue to find good ideas. I think what we're trying to do is stick to a pace of about two new companies per quarter. We want to over five years invest in. About 45 to 50 companies. So we're right at the pace that we, we want to be at. Um, we have to manage our time internally between um, um, sort of supporting our existing companies. So that means um, additional rounds of funding for companies already within the portfolio um, against looking for new ideas. And it's the same with a, um, a stock, a, a portfolio of public stocks. Sometimes you'll find uh, you're spending a lot of time looking at your existing companies for your, for, more dollars and more in reinvestment. Uh, for us, it's a little bit different because we're providing primary capital versus secondary capital. So a lot of it is driven by companies need more money, which is oftentimes why we'll be funding them versus this is our favorite company at the moment. Uh, but so I think we're still continuing to find lots of great ideas. And probably one of the luxuries that we have as public market investors that you don't get so much of now, but I would imagine it's very valuable. You're having that experience on both sides there. Information's a lot tougher to come by there when it comes to these smaller private companies, isn't it? Yeah. So, we have a lot of things that hamstrung us. We A lot of times, we don't get to def- decide when we invest. If companies raising capital, that's the time at which we invest. Um, we can't sell anytime we want. Uh, we have to be invited to invest. So, we can't just um, pick out a company and, and, and send them a check. Uh, we need to talk to management, make sure they want us on board. Uh, but yeah, information is um, a lot harder to find. You have to work harder to find it. It's a lot easier to have an information advantage um, in private venture markets. They're just a lot less efficient. Okay. Well, let's switch gears here and talk a little bit um, about a couple of banks that we've talked about before. Um, one of them has been in our foolish universe here for a little while. Uh, one is, I think, a relative newcomer, but we have Silicon Valley Bank and Live Oak, uh, Live Oak uh, Bank. And uh, these are a couple of companies that you, I know, continue to follow. And, you know, small banks. But making big investments on the tech side, and uh, wanted to talk a little bit more about where you see these banks going, and and how you know we're in this age of fintech, and and, and technology is is done with everything. I mean, it, it's certainly changing the face of finance as well. Uh, but but talk to us a little bit about Silicon Valley Bank and Live Oak Bank, um, and some of the things that you you like uh, seeing coming out of those two companies. 
Sure. So these are two banks I came across just in the day-to-day ventures business world. Um, and sometimes I like to come talk to you about the companies that I see out there in actual real life. Um, and that's probably where most of my uh, public market um, research or knowledge is generated these days by things I come across um, in the ventures world. So Silicon Valley Bank, yeah, we've definitely known about that one for a while. It's actually been a a partner bank of The Motley Fool, The Motley Fool as right. a corporation, for quite a while. Um, and it's also been a recommendation in a couple of our services for quite a few years. Um, what I found is uh, being out in the venture world is um, sort of complete validation of our earlier thesis that that they're really everywhere in the early growth company ecosystem. Um, we look at our portfolio companies. There's There's quite a few of them that use Silicon Valley Bank either for their sort of operating account, so their, their bank account, some of them have lines of credit. Sort of everywhere you go, you hear SVB. Um, if somebody's looking to take a loan, it's SVB. They're just, um, they have a really powerful, dominant franchise with early growth companies and then also people who, who invest in them. And I would imagine they're I mean, in the name, the name kind of says it all, right? I mean, Silicon Valley. You would imagine they have at least. We talk about information being tough to find sometimes. I would imagine they have some pretty good channels to some information that is is very relevant in this quickly developing tech space. They do, and they also have this. Um, this is sort of what I've I've heard from our corporate side is they're just great to work with yeah. as a growth company. So bankers traditionally. Like corporate bankers who will loan money to companies traditionally aren't set up to loan to growth companies. They want to loan um, collateral. They want your assets. You want you want to be a well established business. And so they're not the best to to work with new or growing companies. And Silicon Valley Bank or SVB really is. Um, one of the things you see if you look at their numbers is they have a super low cost of funds. Mm-hmm. So most of their deposits are actually non interest bearing. So that's that's companies who are holding their cash balance with them just because they they like and value the services provided by SVB and they're not getting paid any interest. Yeah, um, I mean that means that basically Silicon Valley is not having to pay for access to that right. capital. So they have a very cheap cost of funds. So I think their their overall cost of deposits is thirty eight basis points. Wow. So you think there's a great opportunity if you're if you're borrowing at thirty eight basis points and you can go out to lend to companies at even a prime rate of five percent or ten percent. There's a great, great spread for you, um, and it's allowed SVB to be super profitable. Um, just looking at some of the headline numbers, return on equity um, for a bank, I think we like to see 10 to 15 percent plus. They're at 21 percent plus, wow. which is pretty impressive, and they've they've um, continued to grow. So over the past five years, their earnings per share are up 32 percent at a compound rate. Now, of course, we have to keep in mind they're pretty heavily tied to um, the venture cycle, sure. which we're a little bit deep in, but it's, it's um, I guess it's, I, I just wanted to sort of bring forward how, um, how, how sort of powerful that franchise is. So, and we're talking about Silicon Valley Bank. We're actually talking about Silicon Valley, or we're talking about SVB Financial. Financial Group, right? So, the ticker there for those interested is SIVB. Um, and let's let's pivot over to Live Oak because this is a company that I've recently started digging into. Hopefully, uh, going to be having an interview with the president of the bank um, here soon to talk more about 
um, his experience with the bank, his, his history with Goldman Sachs. Um, it always, always interesting to talk with insiders uh, within the banking space. Live Oak, a small bank based out of North Carolina, seems like they have a a they see they see at least it seems like a big opportunity in that SBA, that Small Business Administration world. Um, and 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 I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit more about the opportunity that a little bank like Live Oak might open up for investors. Sure. So this is Live Oak is a small bank, and let me put that in. Um, Sort of numbers. So, I think J.P. Morgan is the biggest bank out there. Um, Two point seven trillion in assets, market cap of four hundred billion. SVB, you could say, is solidly a medium-sized bank with a twelve billion dollar market cap and sixty-eight billion in assets. Live Oak, Live Oak is is a small bank. So, their market cap is under a billion dollars, and they've got four billion dollars in assets. Um, what they're really specialized to do, and they, they don't have a branch, um, they're just lending to small businesses. Um, I came across them because they have some interest in lending to, to venture-based businesses. But so far, it's it's mostly been SBA loans, Small Business Administration loans. So these are loans. It's a government program. The government will more or less um, backstop you if you lose more than 25% of the loans. So the government is stepping in to um, sort of spur activity for people who might not be able to get a loan otherwise. This could be... Um, any kind of small business. It could be a. It could be a franchise. It could be a veterinarian. It could be a, a hair salon. It could be. It could be. It could be a farm. It could be almost anything. Um, but the thing is, they're they're SBA loans, so they're small loans, and there's a lot of paperwork and documentation required because it's part of a, a government program. Yeah, I mean, it could be Cremerica, even. I mean, like just as something that someone's running out of their own house, really. It could be if Cremerica passes their underwriting standards. It could be Cremerica. You never know. Hey, I mean, listen. When I used to work at um, Bank of America, as many listeners probably know, and and having to go through that process of of helping a few small business folks get that uh, SBA loan, um, and even at the time, I mean, it was two thousand and two or something like that. And man, oh man, like the paperwork that was involved with trying to get that loan done on my end. Was tough for the individual, for the business owner. It, it was worse, and so it, it's nice to see. Fast forward to today, we're seeing companies like Live Oak get out there and try to take advantage of that opportunity. And of course, technology is changing the space in the way that uh, uh, folks and businesses are able to raise capital. It, it, it's it's a little bit of a different ball game now, but clearly, Live Oak sees something there with the SBA. So what they've done is they built a, a great technology platform to automate the process. Um, that allows them to to do a lot of small loans sort of efficiently. They've only been public since 2015, but they've really been growing a lot. So I think over the past three years, each year they've increased both their loan book and their interest income by like 50 percent on a on a compound uh, basis. Um, and it's still led by its founder, Chip, um, and it's 25 percent owned by insiders. So. Fast-growing small banks, risky sector, but I think there's something interesting going on here. Yeah, well, I mean, Matt, Matt uh, Frankel, and, uh, I talk about these little banks all the time, and I mean, it's a competitive space, but there are ways to succeed in there. And having access to that uh, low cost of funds, like you mentioned with the Silicon Valley Bank, or having a focus on a big market opportunity like the Live Oak there with the SBA, I mean, those can be real. Nice niche services that can help grow the business. I mean, they don't think you expect it ever to become the size of something like a, a J.P. Morgan or whatever. But but that's not really the point. I mean, there's plenty of plenty of uh, opportunity there to be had. And for listeners, just to reiterate, that is Live Oak Bank shares. That ticker is L O B, as in boy. 
Uh, okay, Brendan, let's talk a little bit because there is a company that we cover here from time to time in our Foolish Universe uh, that is very much in the business of venture capital and investing in a lot of these small businesses. And they've kind of been called on uh, what is, let's just say this investment hasn't worked out so well. Talking about SoftBank, and in particular, we talk about it this WeWork story, but SoftBank certainly has investments in businesses other than WeWork. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the WeWork debacle here for a minute, because you know, I, I always I I looked at this story as I followed it along, as I read a little bit more, learned a little bit more about Masa Sun and how he invests and his reputation. Certainly a big appetite for risk, but it seemed like that appetite for risk more or less went unchecked. And I think I said uh, a couple of weeks back that maybe he would have been better served to take a page out of the old book of Abraham Lincoln, right? Surround yourself with a team of rivals who will think differently and push back on your ideas. And and we do a lot of that here with our investing as well. I mean, we try to surround ourselves with people who will maybe push back on an idea and try to see all sides. Um, it doesn't sound like that's really something that was going on with SoftBank, particularly when it when it comes to WeWork. But, but you've been following this along. What are your impressions? So this has been such an awesome story. It's uh, <laughs> it really has. It's it. I, I, the Wall Street Journal has done a great job of covering it. Um, so entertaining. Um, really, the best, most interesting story since Theranos. And I, I can't. <laughs> I can't wait till um, there's a there's a book on on the WeCo. But yeah, it's interesting. I think SoftBank and the venture capitalists there let. Um, we work down a little bit in that I think as a, and I've I've sort of been absorbing this as a venture capitalist you you sort of need to to have a foot in both worlds you need to be able to encourage entrepreneurs to be bold to be unconventional to to follow a a, a vision that doesn't necessarily make sense to the the more conventional financial world but you also need to be able to restrain them at at, at certain times and I think. Um, the WeCo could have used some restraint, so I <laughs> a little I, bit. <laughs> I just wrote down some of the things um, that Adam Newman, the um, the CEO of of WeWork, was doing that you could probably let him get away with. <laughs> so you could let him get away with uh, walking around the office barefoot. You could let let him get away with uh, hiring his wife to be the chief brand officer. She's also the cousin of Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, you could get away with smoking weed in the uh, corporate jet, although you probably shouldn't bring it across international lines. And you're you're smuggling. Just a thought. Um, you could drive. You could you could have an expansive vision of the business. You could get into want to get into housing, finance. Um, you could launch a social network. You could have big parties with tequila uh, at a hundred dollars a bottle and um, rappers from the '80s. You could say that you want to live forever, that you want to become the prime minister of Israel, that you want to be the world's first trillionaire. You can uh, have 10x voting stocks. You could probably get away with all of those things. Um, <laughs> the things that you can't get away with, and th this is where, um, as a venture capitalist, you kind of need to, to step in and be that in-between, between the adult world of public companies and bond vig vigilantes and, and the, the crazy ideas of Silicon Valley, you need to step in and say, look, you cannot sell the trademark to the word we <laughs> for $6 billion to your own company. You cannot lease properties that you own to your company. You cannot um, sell stock and borrow against stock at rates that you wouldn't even consider letting your own employees do. I mean, it's a level of... Uh, you know, incredible sort of 
hubris and and self-dealing. Um, and then ultimately, you you do at the end of the day need to have a business, um, and you can't have 1.8 billion in um, revenue and 3.5 billion in expenses. At that at that stage of a company, you you cannot have a a, a burn rate, so losses that exceed 100% of your revenue. You just need to be told to sort of rein it in. Um, and I think, I think that's sort of where the the venture capitalists that were funding this and they were funding it. You know, you can give advice, but also when you give someone um, 10 billion dollars at a 47 billion dollar valuation, you're sort of endorsing these things. Um, and and I think that that would have been an opportunity for venture capitalists to still um, encourage the bold vision, being unconventional, but also um, sticking to a certain set of rules and best practices, just a few of them where appropriate. So do you feel like going forward, because I think this is the question a lot of people are asking, is particularly as this Venture Fund 2 is, is set to come online, I mean – it's not to take away from the successes, okay? I mean, it's it's not to say that that Masa Sun and SoftBank have just been nothing but investment failure. I mean, that's clearly not the case there. But this is a really big failure. I mean, what's the reputation risk there? I mean, do you feel like this really? I mean, we forget things pretty quickly. I think as people, as investors, as consumers, and that may very well apply here too. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it probably will. Um, at least until the book comes out and we remind ourselves of how absurd this story actually got. But do you feel like there's a reputational risk? Is SoftBank going to have a more difficult go of it from this point on? I think fundraising for, for Fund 2 will be challenging as far as Mayasi-san. Um, he's, 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 a, he's a win big, lose big type of a guy, and he's had big successes and big failures. And I think ultimately he'll He'll come out of this okay, having having learned something, and I I do um, I do admire the fact that he certainly um, took some blame for this and ad- admitted what was obviously true is that he made some mistakes, um, but I, I think he'll come through this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it shows the value in being able to uh, admit your mistakes and then uh, you know move forward from that. So, I, it's a lesson in there for everybody, I guess. If I ever make a mistake, I'll. I'll I plan to ad- admit it. I'm going to hold you to that. We've got it now recorded, so it's it's for posterity. You're, 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 we're going to hold you to it. Don't worry about that. Uh, thanks again to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. You know, urgency can be your enemy when it comes to finding candidates that are truly meant for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. LinkedIn job screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for, things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. And I tell you, Brendan, you know, we're just now going through and pulling in all of these applications for our internship program in 2020. Um, and I know it may sound early, but you know what? We get a lot of people applying for this program and a lot of really great qualified people in without fail. Every interview we do, we go there and we check their, their LinkedIn profile too. It's always helpful. Uh, it always gives us a bigger, better picture of the individual. Uh, and, and we recommend that you go check it out too. Visit LinkedIn.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Again, that's LinkedIn.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Brendan, this is a segment of the show we've incorporated here recently. We've had a lot of fun with because it started out as just a little bit of an innocuous, oh, well, hey, guess what? This is the last stock I bought. 
we encourage listeners to tell us the last stock they bought, and now we've just got a long line of everybody telling us the last stock they bought and why, and we're just having a ball reading these things on air because, you know, hey, listeners love to have their stuff read on air, but it's also getting a lot of great stock ideas out there uh, for us, for our listeners. I mean, it's been a lot of fun, so we wanted to read off a few more of these today. Uh, Jay Otto from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. He says, it's actually two stocks I recently bought on the same day, Disney and Microsoft. Picked up a couple of shares of each, and I'm just going to collect some dividends and not look at them again for a long time. Jay, good call on both counts, I think. Disney and Microsoft, very popular holdings in our Foolish Universe. Uh, Hey, man. Disney Plus launches tomorrow. I have a feeling that's going to probably be a pretty good catalyst for the business over the long haul. Uh, and then we have Derek, who hit us up on Twitter, at DMainCU21. He says, the last stock I bought was PC Connection, ticker CNXN. It's a small cap stock carrying zero debt, earnings per share growth of 29%, and the stock is up 42% over 52 weeks. P.E. ratio of just under 16. They're a national provider of IT solutions. They currently offer over 425,000 products from brands including Apple, Cisco, Dell, EMC, HP, Lenovo, and Microsoft. It's up recently after reporting 90 cents earnings per share last quarter compared to an estimate of 57% or 57 cents. I'm in this one for the long term. Derek, that's the only way to invest for the long haul. Uh, Brendan, now that I've got you here in the studio for a change, you got uh, you got you got something you want to share. You got a last stock you bought and why? Yeah. So these days I've been adding to um, stocks that I that I've owned for a long time that I did a lot of research on when I was part of the investing group. So one of those is Marriott. Oh yeah. It's got great brand, uh, the biggest hotel company in the world, and they've got this really interesting model where, where they don't actually own. The physical properties. They're a management company and a, a sort of a franchisee. So they collect franchise fees and management fees um, that are more or less guaranteed on very long term contracts. So it could be up to 30 years. They get reimbursed with most of their expenses. And then when things are particularly good, they get a profit share. So it's this sort of business where, um, you know, tails I break even, heads I win by a lot. Yeah. And they're making big investments into their own. Technology and in bringing uh, loyalty members directly to their sites to book their rooms, as opposed to relying on places like Booking.com or Expedia or other OTAs. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I actually had a chance to talk to their CEO Arnie Sorensen at the uh, annual meeting. He oh, was yeah. he was really excited about the potential for direct booking versus um, paying somebody else's website to 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 bring a um, a guest to Marriott. And there's huge advantages to being the if you want to do direct to being the biggest company, you can spread your technology costs out, but you also have the biggest selection and a well-known name. Yeah, and uh, you know we got to go check them out recently at their new headquarter up in was it is up in Maryland, right? Bethesda. Bethesda. Yeah, yeah. We got to go over there with uh, Sarah and Micah a couple of years back to see that. It was interesting to see all of the stuff that they're investing in the business, and seemed like a really fun culture too. So a lot we could relate to there. All right. Well, uh, hey, listen. Before we close out, you know, anytime I get Brendan in the studio here, we got a couple of things we got to get off our chest. Okay, it's what it's what grinds our gears. We got a lot of problems, and we want to just take this opportunity to get a few of those problems out there for you listeners. So, Brendan, I'm going to go ahead and start this off. You know what really grinds my gears? It's when you're trying to search for something on Slack. Now, I mean, I'm not trying to knock Slack. They've been a great advertising partner of ours before. And it's a decent, you know, 
tool to use. But I mean, like, I, I can't find anything on Slack anytime ever. And then I'm trying to figure, did that person Slack it to me or did they email it? I can't remember because it's been so long ago. So then I'm searching through Slack. I'm searching through email. I can't find it. Um, I mean, you know, it, I feel like Slack needs to make that search function a little bit more useful. Well, especially since the name is the search, searchable log of all conversations and knowledge, right? I'm just finding it to not be that friendly on the searchable part of that. Might as well just be lack. Might as well. Might as well. So, Jason, you know what grinds in my gears? What? The penny. The penny. I mean, what can you buy with a penny? Is it even Nothing. necessary? Yeah, why do we need a penny? Just round me up. Round <laughs> me down. <laughs> just well, round you up, yeah, round me down. Is the, is the metal in a penny even worth a penny? Well, why stop even at the penny? I mean, hey, what's the nickel doing? Yeah, yeah. You know? I don't know. I mean, maybe the nickel's okay. You get round numbers out of it all. But, yeah, the penny seems like it's a, you know, it costs more to, to make than, it, than it really the value that it's imparting on our economy. Yeah, so let's just round up, round down. Okay. Well, okay. Here's something else that really grinds my gears is knowing that this is the last season of Silicon Valley on HBO. Again, we talked a little bit about Silicon Valley in, in Silicon Valley Bank, but are you watching Silicon Valley on HBO? So I'm a little bit behind. I'm just I've watched the first season. Yeah, I mean I can't believe like that grinds my gears that you haven't even seen. You're not even up to date with it because it's a show I know that you would love to follow along, but this is the last season. It's just killing me. I can't I I don't know what is gonna happen. I feel like it's a story that could just go on and on and given what we do here, it's it's very relatable. So yeah, I'm I'm a little bit bummed that this is the last season. So you know what grinds my gears? What's that? Leaf blowers. Leaf blowers, but it's that time of year. Yeah, so this time of year, and I'm specifically talking about usually it's a building maintenance person with a leaf blower. There's a couple of leaves maybe on the ground, not really bothering <laughs> anybody. And so you go out there with a leaf blower, super loud, uh, blowing leaves up, dirt up into everyone's eyes, and the next day the leaves are just going to blow back. Yep. If it was that if it was that dangerous and that important, just pick them up. Otherwise, we'll just live with the leaves. Well, speaking of cooler weather, I mean, another thing that really grinds my gears is because I'm getting a lot of these this time of year is an espresso. But what really grinds my gears is when people say espresso and they throw that X in there when clearly there is no X in the actual word. It's espresso, people. Take the X out of there. Get your mind out of the gutter. Anything else that grinds your gears, Brendan? That's it for me. Hey, Austin, uh, behind the glass there, I, you, you got to have something you want to get off your chest, right? One thing that really grinds my gears is uh, I like to go to the gym in the morning and I like to finish my workout with a couple minutes in the sauna. Yeah. And some people like to come straight out of the shower and dry off in the sauna while I'm in there. And uh, it's uh, a very small box. That just doesn't sound sanitary. It doesn't sound pleasant. It just, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. All right. Hey, Brendan, great having you back in the studio again. Thanks for taking the time. Yep. Okay, Brendan Matthews works for Motley Fool Ventures, a separate sister company of the Motley Fool LLC. His appearance is not intended as a solicitation or offer of sale of any securities. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Brendan Matthews, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.